0: Well, good morning. You know, we look at the world and we wonder, is it ever going to get any better? Uh, will uh, is there any hope for the future? And then you see a young man who uh, comes up like uh, Mark just has and shares a song that he has written. And if uh, half of our young people in college are thinking the way Mark is, we're going to be at a good place, aren't we? Amen. What a morning! What a morning! I got to tell you, I I, uh, get emotional when I uh, listen to Howard talk. Many of you don't know, but Howard and I went to high school together, and uh, Howard was uh, the guy that uh, taught me about all the music that uh, you, as uh, parishioners of this church, don't like hearing your pastor talk about. Howard gave me a lot of good good tapes. Uh, We were the intergeneration between tapes and CDs, and uh, it was neat to see... Uh, howard's life change and to have a a part in it as a church is is an amazing thought i remember when howard uh... uh told me about uh... why he came to village he uh, had come uh, i had invited him a couple times during uh... during youth group to come to a couple different events and he had grown to really love our youth pastor at the time and uh, and uh... he had come to a difficult place in his life living just down the street and found himself Meandering after uh, a difficult day and he came to uh, talk with that youth pastor who was no longer here I believe he had talked with Keith uh, at that time and uh, He got the shock of his life when uh, he says well, who's who are the pastors here now? And when he said Tim Bedall, he said boy, this is the place for me You got a crazy man in the pulpit if you know Howard He's a crazy man and uh, we've loved having him and Mandy with us. So uh, thank you Howie for that uh wonderful testimony. We are all about life change. Our desire here at Village Bible Church, nothing more is to see God glorified for God's name to be praised. And we believe with all our heart that the scripture says that the best way to demonstrate that is for our lives to be different than how we used to live, to be different than the way the world lives. And that's why we come to our text this morning in Acts Chapter 9, because for the last four weeks, we have found ourselves looking at this subject of life change, looking at one of the greatest changes in an individual's life that has ever happened, the change of the Apostle Paul in, in his former life, being, of course, Saul of Tarsus. We've looked at uh, the reason why there is change that is needed, and that was in week one, we looked at the flawed standing of Saul. Even though he had uh, many things from a world's perspective that would seem that he uh, had it put together, he was a sinner in need of uh, being saved, in the need of grace. Even though he tried to do it on his own, even though he tried uh, to uh, work his own religion, He was a sinner in the sight of God and we too, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we try to do, we still find ourselves flawed in our standing before God. The next thing we looked at was the only way that can change, the only way we can fix it is by not trying to fix it and giving ourselves over uh, to Jesus Christ putting our faith and trust in him bowing the knee and that's what Saul did on that road to Damascus as he's heading out to go and destroy Christianity to put it down once and for all Jesus Christ meets him and he meets him face to face but not for long because that brilliance of the resurrected Jesus Christ brings him to the ground and then we see what takes place is a change In fact, a change where Saul gets up from the ground, he's blinded, but he knows who he has seen, he knows who he's experienced, and now changes were to take place. We saw that last week as we looked, because the text says that he heads into Damascus as Jesus had told him to do, and when he got there for three days, he did not eat or drink anything, and he prayed. He started to commune with his God, to spend time with his God. No doubt he was asking for forgiveness and seeking the Lord's help in his time of need. And yet we see in this amazing change that as he approaches or as he comes in encounter with Jesus... We learn in in his re or his uh, retelling of the story in Acts chapter 22 that at the moment that Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me?" Saul asks the question that brings us to our message this morning, and that is, "What do you want me to do? What do you have of me?" You see, many times we think that uh, uh, we're to be like uh, the monks. Uh, monks, of course, you know what they do. They're very pious. They have a, a large view of God and, and what they want to do is they want to go into uh, Into a private place into a private setting and they just want to pray and they just want to read the Bible and, and that's good But the problem is is God's called us to more than that and Saul asked the question. What, what, do, you, what do you want of me? What do you have of me? What am I to do now? It seems in our uh, lives today, we, we begin to think that our conversion experience, the, the salvation experience that we have is the grand finale, as if our life is uh, the fireworks during a 4th of July celebration, and it comes to the pinnacle when they're just, I'm, I mean, they're just uh, cashing in everything they've got in the sky, and we sit there and say, it's the grand finale, that's it, it's about to be over. And many of us, when we come to know Jesus, we say, that's it, it's over. I may do some things, I, I, I may uh, uh, do some praying and, and reading of the scriptures, but, uh, but I've accomplished what God has called me to. I'm saved now. But little uh, do we recognize what Saul recognized, and that was at the moment of salvation, the question we must ask is, what am I to do now? What is my role? What is my place? Where am I to serve Paul would later talk about this in in the book of Ephesians. The famous passage of Scripture, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a free gift of God. Not by works that any of us could boast. Here's the salvation. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's not something you can earn, it's a free gift. There's nothing we can do to merit ourselves back to God. But notice what Paul says to the church at Ephesus right after that. Not of works that any man could boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ. The new birth takes place. Why? For good works. Not just any kind of good works, but good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. I wrote this down and if you take notes, write this somewhere in your, uh, above your outline before we get into uh, our uh, outline this morning. And that's the following. God wants all, God wants all that He has saved. God wants all that He has saved to serve Him in whatever situation that He asks or put you through. Let me say that again. God wants all that he has saved to serve him in whatever situation that he asks or puts you through. God's got a plan for you. God's got a job for you. God has a desire to see his workmanship going out and doing good works so that we'll bring glory and honor to God so that we can show the world the change that has taken place in us. Now, we live in a world that that, uh, gives great credence, gives great adoration to this idea of faithful service. If you serve in your company for many years, they may give you a watch, they may give you a trip, they may uh, give you uh, an addition to your retirement package. They want to say thank you for the service that you have done, the faithfulness in doing the job. Some of you in the corporate world find yourselves uh, being uh, re- rewarded for your faithful service when a project is done on time and done well. Of course, we, we, uh, we appreciate faithful service when it comes to our marriages. As the year comes around, we once again uh, celebrate the faithfulness of the service, if you will, of one spouse to another. Uh, last week I uh, had the opportunity to talk with Don and Eunice Rudd, and it was their anniversary last week. I don't think they're, I don't think they're here. Yes, they are right in front of me. How many years has it been? 51 years. <clears throat> Feels like best deal you ever got. I don't think she'd say the same thing, Don. <laughs> I'm in the same boat, though. 51 years of faithful service. We appreciate that, don't we? But why is it that in our world, we seem to appreciate all of those things? In fact, when I was, when I was young, uh, our school uh, would want to appreciate the, the, the faithful attendance and turning in of homework, that what they would do is they would say, if you have perfect attendance and you turn all your homework assignments in, at the end of a quarter, if you have done that faithfully, uh, there will be a prize. And the prize was, I kid you not, and this is probably why I didn't do homework and attend school, was that the White Sox were so bad back in the day that they couldn't find anybody to fill the stadium and they would give out free tickets. I kid you not, I'm being honest here. And they would give out tickets to go to the White Sox game. Why? Because there is something important about faithfulness in service. And yet amidst all that, we find ourselves as Christians doing that in our lives in the world, but not doing it in our lives with Christ. We sit there and say, well, Lord, I'll get to you when, when I have a chance. Lord, you know, I'm really busy right now. I really can't serve you as, as you've called me to. So I'll get to that when the kids are, are taken care of or I'll, I'll get to being serious about you, Lord, when I, I grow up and after I get out of college, then I'll, I'll get serious or maybe I'll get serious, Lord, after I retire. And we push off the faithful service that God has for us. Well, before we even move out of that, we need to understand what is a life of faithful service. I want you to write these uh, three words down. Life, faithful, and service. The word life denotes the span of one's existence. This is not a one-day thing that God is calling us to. He's saying, I want it for the rest of your life. I want it to go as long as you're around. I want you to be serving me. It's not a flash in the pan, if you will. Next, we see that uh, faithful Well, what's faithful mean? It means steadfast in your allegiance and affection, firm in adherence and true to a standard. What what it's saying is, is for the rest of your life, what God wants is he wants our allegiance, he wants our affection, he wants us to adhere to the standard that God has placed. He's saying there's a certain criteria of what service is supposed to look like. But what is service? Romans chapter 12 tells us, turn there for a moment, Romans chapter 12, I want us to look just for a moment at at, at what uh, Paul uh, means when he talks about service. This This is what he says. not going to read all of it, but therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That word is lituro, which can be literally translated, not just worship, but service. Paul used to say, the God whom I lituro, I worship, but worship, it also has the sense of the God that I serve. What are we to do? We're to give our bodies over to Jesus. We're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices in faithfulness for a lifetime serving Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean? It means don't conform yourselves to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We can't just think of service being ministry. It involves the very essence of who we are. We can't live the way we used to. we got to transform ourselves by uh, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And service also involves knowing the, the good and pleasing will of God, it goes on to say. But look at verses 3 through uh, 8. That gets into what we know, uh, what we usually talk about when it talks about service, and that is the spiritual gifts. If, uh, we all have different gifts. If a man's gift is this or that, let him do it. Be a part of it. And then we see later on in the text that it involves our love. It involves uh, uh, Um, before we move on here, put the pause button on for a second. I saw this as I was, uh, um, as I was getting ready to go to, let me drink water first. I saw this as on the, on the, uh, TV as we were getting, as getting ready for church. I don't know if some of you heard it. I heard, overheard some of you in the back talking about this, uh, Al Jazeera and now Reuters is reporting, uh, that, uh, Osama bin Laden has, um, has given a note offering up his surrender uh, to uh, the coalition forces. He, it says, "It says uh, t- to the fact here that uh, he's asking for a, a meeting um, with a contingency of leaders, including uh, leaders from the Christian from the Christian faith." So we can keep that uh, in our prayers as we uh, as we move forward. Wow, what a what an amazing. Amazing, Well, okay. Thank you for that, uh, Jim. Um, Where were we at here? Um, Talking about love, talking about hating what is evil, clinging to what is good, he goes on and says. He says to be devoted to one another. This life change involves faithful service. So what does that mean? It means going places that we don't want to go. Now, before anybody leaves, the congreg- anybody leaves, brother Tony. I don't know where you're going, but stop here, Tony. I got to tell you, I'm lying to you. I don't have anything from Osama bin Laden, but some of you are wondering, would you be one of those guys to go? Our text today tells us something very important, and that is, serving God may mean calling you to a place. You never thought you would go. I know I've never had anybody this amount of attention before. Wow. It worked. We look at a man today in our text, Ananias, who understood a life of faithful service. And God is going to call him to go to the terrorist of his day and do what? Proclaim the message of Christ. And yet many of you are thinking, I looked at a couple of you when I announced that, and the thought was, don't believe it. How many of you were thinking when I said that, I don't believe it? Be honest. How many of you believed it? God bless you. I love all of you. (laughs) What an amazing thought. A life of faithful service means God is going to call you to do what? Not just to uh, be conformed, be trans- uh, to conform by being transformed. It doesn't just mean by saying, Lord, I, I want to serve you. But what we find out through all the scripture is that God, when we say that, that's a dangerous prayer. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You know, Al told me uh, he had prayed a, a long time ago that that God would use his daughter no matter how or where she would go. And, and and that's a dangerous prayer for our chairman of our elders to pray for his only daughter. Why? Because God has called his only daughter away from him to go serve on the mission field. That's a dangerous prayer. And we don't know what may happen uh, as she and her husband Chad go and, and pursue that endeavor it's a dangerous prayer when we give ourselves to God and we say, God, I want to be faithful to you and I'll do whatever it whatever it means. I'll go and I'll announce your kingdom and announce your praises to whoever, whether enemy or friend, whatever it means or it involves. Ananias did that. So let's look to our text this morning as we look at a life of faithful service. So I'm going to ask that you would stand and turn to Acts chapter 9. I apologize if you don't like lying in the pulpit. I promise I'll never do it again. But I hope it proves a a point that's well worth noting. Let's look at our text this morning. Now we know uh, verses 1 through 7 have told us what has transpired when it comes to uh, Saul seeing this incredible, brilliant light. He sees that it's Jesus. He opens his eyes after seeing Jesus, after hearing Jesus ask the question, why are you persecuting me? He recognizes Jesus. He's on the ground. In verse 8 it says he opens his eyes. He could see nothing. Let's start in verse uh, verse 9. It says, for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Now notice what it says. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And Lord, we are gripped with the idea and the question in our mind, are we willing to live lives of faithful service? Lord, it is easy for us to do it here in the comfortability of this wonderful church building. But Lord, we come to a place in one of the most amazing conversion stories of all ages to a life, a forgotten hero named Ananias. And Lord, you spoke to him. You empowered him. You moved in his heart to go and to do something that was completely out of question. Lord, I pray for our people here. Lord, I pray for our leaders. Lord, I pray for even my own life that we would be a people devoted to faithful service for you. And that like good soldiers in your heavenly army, we would do exactly what it says. Lord, if that means we get pushed into harm's way. Lord, if it means we must associate with those that we would rather not. Lord, if it means that we must uh, uh, give up some of the things of this world. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who say, yes, Lord, I will serve you with all my heart. Lord, we do this because it's out of of a gratitude of your mercy. Your word says that in view of your mercy, we should offer ourselves. Lord, we do this not for our own renown or our own acclaim, but we do this for you because of what you've done for us. So give us the power and the strength to understand what you have for us this morning so that we can live in light of it. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. How do we get there this morning? How do we get there? How do we become like Ananias? How do we become like one of those men that may have been, that may be called at one point to go and talk to a a known terrorist who, who you know wants nothing more than to put you to death? How do we live with that kind of, uh, assurance that we are exactly where God wants us to be. Well, we got to look at this man's life, Ananias. And it it begins, if we want to live a life of faithful service, it, it starts with knowing our part in God's strategy. It starts with knowing our part in God's strategy. Look at what the text says in verse 10. It says, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. Let's stop there for a moment. We are introduced to a certain man, Ananias. We only hear about this man one other time in the New Testament. Now, this is not, so you know, uh, the Ananias from the story of Ananias and Sapphira, okay? Not the same Ananias. This is a different one. And, and, and he be- uh, scholars believe that he lives in a Damascus. That's where he finds his home. We don't know much about this man, There's no biography, there's no uh, credentials, there's no resume. It doesn't say, hey, uh, this is who uh, he is. It just says, this is a man, a certain man. Now, this is a reminder uh, to us, I believe. And the reminder is, is that God can do great things through ordinary people. There's nothing about him being anything. And so what service is, and what we need to understand about service is that service is not about the guy but it's all about God. It's not about Ananias, but it's about God. Service isn't about Timbedall, but it's about God. Service isn't about Village Bible Church, but it's about God. There was a man. Nothing there that we should get all excited about. It's just a man. Yet God, when he requires something of us that would impact the redemptive story like this, Ananias, I want you to go. And I want you to go and, and declare and do what I say in the life of this man because I'm gonna use this life. My strategy is, if you will, my plan is, is I'm gonna use this Saul that you're going to go see and he's gonna revolutionize the world. How? By being a missionary, uh, going out and telling others about Jesus Christ. And yet, for many of us as Christians, we find ourselves listening to that and hearing and saying, well, that's great, God. Yeah, I believe that that's going to happen, but go ahead and give Tim a call. Go ahead and give one of the elders a call. Make sure you call one of the big-name pastors. Don't call me. Uh, even though I do want to serve, it just doesn't seem like it, it fits for me. And so for many Christians, what we have done when it comes to service is we, we have said, Lord, I want to serve. If we were to pull you as individuals today, I think if you've uh, known Jesus or if you've been spending any amount of time with us, you, you would have this deep sense that, yes, I want to serve God. Yes, I desire to serve God. But it would be very much like you saying, I'm waiting for a phone call and sitting by your phone, waiting for that phone to ring, never realizing that that phone isn't uh, plugged into the phone jack, that it can't even receive a call. And for many of us as Christians, while we desire the call from God, the desire to minister and serve God with all our hearts in a life of faithful service, we don't have the proper hookup to be able to receive that call. Well, what does that proper hookup involve? Well, uh, to be a part of God's strategy, it requires some things. It requires, first of all, that we live for God. It, It requires that we live for God. Now, look at what the text says in... It's not in verse 9. It's in chapter 22. Turn to chapter 22 of Acts for a moment. Acts 22, verse 12. This is what our text says. Acts 22, 12. A man named Ananias... This is Paul speaking to a crowd of people. And he speaks of his conversion experience. And he's at that part in the story. And he says... Uh, in verse 11, my companions led me by hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light uh, had blinded me. Now a man Ananias, named Ananias came to see me. Notice what Paul says. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. The first thing that we must understand is we must live for God. You want God to call you into a serving him and and, and into a life of of faithful service? It begins by us living for God. He was a devout observer of the law. This this phrase literally uh, speaks of the fidelity to the word of God, the law of God. It speaks about uh, his proper and right attitude about God's word in his life. Let's think about that for a moment. He was devout, why? Because he had a proper perspective of what God had spoken to his people about. This is important for us as Christians. You wanna have a life of faithful service, you wanna do great things for God, you can't do it until you have gone to God and said, Lord, I wanna live for you, I wanna be a part of what you have and the Lord is gonna say time and time again throughout the scriptures, go to my word and live in light of it. So it involves that. The second thing that uh, is seen in that text is that he had a a good reputation. A good reputation. You can go and you can study God's Word and you can make it a, a priority in your life. But if it does not turn into right living... And proper living in your world, and and people look at you and say, "Well, yeah, I know he's a Bible scholar. I I know that he does um, a lot of things at his church, but but I, I see him and I watch his life, and and he's a swindler, and and he does this, that, and and the other thing." Uh, then we can do nothing for the kingdom, no matter how much Bible we know. And that's why the Bible tells us, especially for leaders, is of great importance that we be sold out for God that we understand the truths of God, not only be able to understand them, but to teach them to others. But the text also says of church leaders that we are to have a good reputation with those outside the church. Why? Because if we want to serve them, if we want to go out and reach them, then they have to be able to trust us. They have to be able to look us in the eye and say, they are speaking truth to me. So it involves living for God. Second, we see it involves listening to God. we got to listen to God. Look at what the text says in Acts 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, the Lord called to him in a vision. Listen to what he says Ananias. It's a one sentence, a one word sentence there. Ananias. Notice what he says Yes, Lord. I don't know if Luke hasn't given us the whole story or not, but it would seem that uh, the Lord comes in a vision that Ananias had to have a pretty good understanding of who God is and be able to discern the voice of God. Because there doesn't seem to be any kind of speculation on what Ananias is looking at. A vision takes place, and and the Lord speaks out, and he says, Ananias, and he says, yes, Lord, yes. There's no fear. We don't see that like we do in in some of the uh, uh, visitations that take place. There's no trepidation of what is this? There's no question, is this a demon? Is this a figment of my imagination? There's no question about whether this involved the um, uh, anchovy pizza that uh, Ananias had before he went to bed. None of that. Ananias, yes, Lord. Do you have that kind of commun- line of communication with your God in heaven this morning? Where when the Lord says your name, you don't wonder, you don't ask, you just say, yes, Lord. His response is proper and it's personal. He was so in tune with God, it would seem, that as he hears the voice of God, he's ready to respond. Many of us aren't involved in in serving our Lord in in many different ways because we cannot listen to God. We we don't even have a capacity to hear uh, of God and hear from God. In fact, the book of Hebrews, the writer speaks to the people and he says, we have much to tell you, uh, but you're dull of hearing. You're dull of hearing. God has much to tell you, uh, but we're dull of hearing. And so what do we do? In Paul's life, we see that solitude and prayer are key ways to hear from God. For three days, he did nothing but pray. He would then go to Arabia for for years. And what would he do? He would commune with his God to listen uh, to God. Where did he get that from? Jesus. Remember, Jesus would go and he would heal all these people and take care of them and preach. And then the Bible would say time and time out, Jesus, who was God, would go off by himself to have time to spend with his father. The reason why the church doesn't serve God isn't, de- isn't because we don't have a desire. I think there is a desire to serve, but we don't hear from God. You would say, well, Tim, I haven't been called anything. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening for the voice of God? Ananias was, and when God spoke, he was ready for it. This reminds me a lot of my own uh, son, whom I love. But so many times I find that he's not listening. Son, I want you to do this. And he doesn't move. Son, I, I, I need you to go and, and take care of what mom has asked you to take care of. Okay, I'll raise my voice. Son, and what happens? He's not listening. With my son, it's very much like Christians. We find ourselves distracted. And when God is speaking... We don't hear it because the TV's too loud. The job is too loud. Our pursuits or our desires are too loud. Our love for money is too loud. And we don't hear from God. Ananias did. And as a result of hearing from God, devoting himself to the word of God, he was able to respond to God in a way that he'd be able to learn his part in God's plan. Because if he's not listening, he would never know what God would desire of him. Well, that moves to a second thing. Does Ananias go and do it right away? Uh, does, is this enough, this listening and living for God? Is it enough to um, take care of the plans of God? No. So, so what are we to do? Well, uh, we're to go beyond that. But why many times don't we? Well, we see the second point this morning is that a life of faithful service is stunted. It's stunted by our propensity to become skeptical. Notice what the text says uh, in verse 11 and 12. He says yes lord right answer that's good Ananias you're doing well so what does the lord say here's the direction go to the house of Judas on straight street this is in Damascus and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him uh, to restore his sight all right here's the plan he got the first step right he hears from god yes lord i hear you uh, okay well, what do you want I want you to go down the street, down Straight Street, which is still found in modern-day Damascus, an east-west thoroughfare. It would have been a well-known street in Ananias' day. And I want you to go down to uh, that dude's, that dude, uh, Judas, who lives on Straight Street. I told you this isn't Judas Iscariot, the disciple of Jesus, different Judas in Damascus. And what I want you to do is go to the home, knock on the door, if you will, and ask for the man that is staying there named Saul of Tarsus. Now, do we see him get up and say, yes, Lord, I'll go, I'll do it? No, we see more communication taking place. Because what happens is, is even though he's, ready, he's living for God already, he's listening to God, there's a disconnect when it comes to his calling. There's a pause. What, what causes that? It's his skepticism. Look at what uh, uh, takes place he comes back and he says, Lord. He doesn't say yes. He says, Lord, I've heard many reports. Let's stop there for a moment. He has questions. Why is it that we as people don't go out and when God has uniquely uh, and so powerfully spoken to us and said, I want you to do this, that we stand and say, I'm not sure. Because we have questions. Skepticism becomes the game. And we notice that in Ananias' life. Why is he skeptical? Because we see just as in Ananias' life and in ours, that skepticism comes when God's course for us is unique, when it's unique. God's plan for us doesn't uh, seem to fit the mold of everybody else. Now I could see Ananias uh, getting the call, uh, Ananias, "Yes, Lord. I, Lord, I, or uh, Ananias, I want you to pray more. I want you to give a little more uh, when you go to church. Ananias, I want you to invite a friend uh, to church. I can see God saying, okay, I'll get out working on that. It's not nothing to think about. There's nothing to really uh, process. That, That seems easy, but that's not what he says. He says he gets a Google map to a house that he's probably never been in to go see a dude he's never met, but heard things about. That seems pretty unique. And I believe in my heart that that was probably going through Ananias's mind. I wonder if Ananias was saying, "You know, is this a joke? Is Ashton Kutcher over at Judas's house, and I'm going to be punked?" Or for some of you, some of you more uh, mature people, and I'm in trouble. That's an MTV show. Um, uh, Am I on candid camera? Where are the cameras? Where are they at, Lord? Come on. You want me to go and do what? This seems awful unique. And yet that's what we find ourselves many times doing. I know in my own life, I have questioned the calling of God, been skeptical of it. I remember when God's call for me to preach, I remember the time. It was a specific moment in time that I remember saying, I will be a preacher at some day. I don't know when it is, but I'll be a preacher someday and I just got to get used to it. I was was okay with that. There's a lot of preachers out there, and they're okay. It's nothing crazy about that until the Lord said, I I want you to do it while you're cooking pork chops. And, And I'll tell you, it comes up all the time. I'll be preaching, and then I'll tell a story, and I'll look up, and one of our visitors is saying, wait a minute. Okay, what's this preacher making pork chops for? And he's got another job, and that doesn't make sense. You know when I feel it the most when I'm out with other pastors and they say, uh, uh, so, so tell us a little about, about yourself. Well, I, I'm a teaching pastor at Village Bible Church. Oh, really? That, that's wonderful. And I tell more about it. And oh, by the way, I also I run a catering company. And then they start asking questions. And who becomes the unique one at the table? I was, at a, I was, I was invited to a, a, a workshop where there were some big name uh, pastors and preachers at this workshop and I got invited to it. And two days before the event, their caterer canceled out on them. (laughs) And I've already got money uh, going to this thing and and they call and I can't, I don't have the heart to tell them I'm the same Tim Bedall that's coming to the conference. And so I say, well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go undercover, I'll send my best guys. And and I I, I told them ahead of time, I'm not gonna look at you. I'm not gonna respond to you. I may even ask if there's barbecue sauce for the pork chops just to make sure I, I don't do that. And there is one of my favorite authors there who's uh, been asked to kind of pull everybody together and we're in a room and it's, a small, it's not that big of a group. And one of my newest employees says, hey boss. <laughs> and I'm talking to the guy and he says, how do you know him? And I said, is he one of your staff members at the church? Why is he wearing a catering uniform? And I said, well, I'm a a preacher slash caterer. I'm a little unique. My people know that to be true. And you know what he does? He stops and says, what a great blessing and honor to be able to have our caterer slash preacher pray for the food and give the blessing. And one thing I did not pray for is to bless the hands that had prepared it, especially that one but you know what happens? God calls us. He calls us in, in a way, and we say, Lord, this is too unique. This, this doesn't make sense, and, and to explain it to people, i have to give them a diagram and a chart to be able to understand the calling that God has had for me. I will tell you, I held to that uniqueness in such a way that it brought bondage into my life. I accepted the call, but not fully, until I finally said, I don't care if this is the strangest thing in the world, Lord, until you call me out of this unique situation, I will serve you with all my heart. And I'll tell you the freedom of almighty God came upon me. It was unique, but God empowers us to be a part of it. And then I look at the scriptures and every calling of God is unique. God's talking to this dude out in the land of Chaldea, which is of course in Northern Iraq. Hey dude, Abraham, your name is? Yes. I I want you to leave town. I want you to go out. And, and, and by the way, uh, through you, uh, you're going to have so many descendants Uh, There's going to be more of you than the stars in the sky. That seems pretty unique. Could you see him going to the local pub, if you will? Uh, Yeah, I just heard from God. And uh, by the way, you have two kids. I'm going to have two jillion, gillion, billion, whatever number Al could tell me to make up. Kids. How about Noah? I love the story of Noah and the Ark by Bill Cosby. You know, the, the story about the neighbor and Noah, his, his neighbor's going to work and, and he sees this old man out in the, in the, uh, outside the garage building this ark. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. Why? The Lord told me to. Are you all right, Noah? Is everything okay? Yeah. It's going to rain. No, it's never rained. I know. But I was told to build an ark. All throughout Scripture, we are given unique callings by God so when God calls you to something that doesn't seem like it makes sense just as Ananias did you go after it you pursue it don't say well that's not how God works that is how God works he calls why why does he say it Paul says later on he does these foolish things to to do what to confound the wise so I'm not going to do it your way, world. I'm going to do it my way. Next we see, not only does it involve uh, our concern involve being unique, the course being unique, but our concerns are understandable. Our concerns are understandable. Not only is the calling unique to him, but there's some concerns. Look at what it says. I've heard about this man that he has done much harm to the saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the high priest or chief priest to arrest those who call on your name. He says, wait a minute, God, uh, just a moment. I got a question. Um, th- this dude, Saul, he's a bad dude. I don't like him. And, well, he doesn't say that. I'm going to recant that. He doesn't say he doesn't like him. Uh, he, he says, I've heard about him. He, he hurts people. And not only does he hurt people from other places, but, but word is out that he's coming here. You're asking me to go talk to a guy that's probably looking for me. You want me to do that? That doesn't make sense. Now, now, why do we grow skeptical? Because our concerns, when I write this down, when our concerns are understandable, what it means is that when God calls us to something, the questions or concerns you have, everybody is asking those same things. If it was you or Ananias or anybody else in this room, I believe with all my heart that question would have been there. You want me to go do What? I wonder if he was listening to uh, the call of God. I want you to go uh, to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Yeah, I've got that down, Lord. And I want you to go into the house, and there's a man uh, from Tarsus uh, named Saul. What? Well, when we get back, I was at I was at Judas Straight Street. And you said, God, you know what you're talking about? This, guy's, this guy, is a, he wants to destroy Christianity. Why would you want me to go there, God? What, have I missed out on something and now you're sending me to an early grave? Is that what you're doing? Those were all understandable concerns. Let's use it this way. If God calls you to overseas missions, I've got a friend this weekend that's with me named uh, Benjamin. Uh, he spoke yesterday at the men's breakfast and uh, he is uh, planning to go to Papua New Guinea. Take his family, four children under the age of six with his wife to go out to a tribal land that they they don't know about Jesus and to build a church and to talk about Jesus. Well, I got some concerns. I got a lot of concerns. What about the kids? What about money? What about your safety? One of our uh, uh, parishioners will remain nameless Said uh, asked if the people that they were going to uh, were cannibals, and if so, take Tim. Some of you got that, and uh, I appreciate that love and affection by that individual, Chris Scott. Um, but uh, <laughs> but we have a lot of questions. Let me tell you something. When I came into, one of the biggest decisions I made of calling a ministry was coming in and filling this pulpit. And I had a lot of questions, and I still do. I still do. And they're understandable. They're questions that all of us would ask. But that doesn't mean we stop in our process of following God. When you have questions, give them to God. Notice what he says in the text. He doesn't say, no way, God, I can't do it. Forget it. I've already made up my mind. He articulates a couple of things we need to remember. Listen to what he says. I've heard the harm that he's done to who? To your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here to arrest all who call on your name. What he's saying is, Lord, I'll do it. Uh, but i got some questions. Do you understand what's taking place? Uh, Lord, uh, do you realize, I know you realize it, Lord, but, but help me to understand it. And he does. Look at what he says in the text. He says, but the Lord said to Ananias in verse 15, go, this is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and to their kings, before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God answers him. And God gives him some consolation. uh, consolation. This is what he says. He wants to comfort him. He says, don't worry about it, Ananias. I've chosen him to do some great things. He's going to carry my name. He's going to be a missionary. He's going to be a proclaimer uh, to all the people of Israel, to the Gentiles as well. And and, in doing so, he's going to suffer greatly as a result of it. Now, all the commentaries say this is comfort to Ananias. I don't think it is. I'm going to go against what they say. I don't think it's comfort. I think it's true. All of it's true. But this is what happens because skepticism comes when God's conclusions seem uh, unbelievable, too unbelievable. It's one thing for me to go have a one-on-one conversation with a known hater of Christianity, knowing that he has allowed people to be put to death for the same uh, beliefs that I have. It's another thing to believe that that same guy has had some sort of religious or spiritual uh, conversion and that now he's going to be one of the greatest ambassadors for Christianity that would ever be around. Are you kidding me? Okay, God, now really, where are the cameras? Okay, what's going on here? And yet so many times we say no to God because God says, I'll give you some information. I'm going to use you and I'm going to use you in powerful ways. Or people come up to you and they affirm your gift and they say, wow, God is going to do great things through you. I remember having such fear and trepidation about my own calling because I didn't believe what people affirmed upon me. I didn't believe it. When my father told me on the day of my graduation party that even though I had struggled four years after my brother had died, I was still struggling with my own identity and how that fit in with my big brother. My dad looks after a massive storm to two rainbows and he says, your brother experienced a one a single portion. But he says, Tim, on your on your day of graduation, one of the most significant days of your life, God has declared that you will be given a double portion. And I sat there and I didn't believe it. Are you kidding me? I barely made it through school. I can't figure out my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. And here's my old man saying, you're going to do great things from God. Forget it, dad. That's not going to happen. And for a while, I didn't follow God as a result of that. Some of you aren't following God because you don't believe that God actually can do what he says he will do. And let me tell you, if I would have ever thought that I would be preaching and doing what I'm doing, being a leader in the church, serving in this way, I would have told you that day when I was 18 years old, you've got to be absolutely kidding me. And yet that's what God has done. And to Him be the glory and praise. Let's look at one final thing before we close. And that is the process. How do we get there? How do we get there? We learn one final thing, and that is a life of faithful service showcases the incredible potential of a spirit-led life. Of a spirit-led life. Ananias, no big name, no leader, just an ordinary guy, is used by God because he follows the Spirit of God. You want God to do great things in your life? You want God to use you in ways you could never use yourself? Then give yourself wholly over to God. In view of God's mercy place yourself on the altar of God as a living sacrifice to him. No matter where it goes, no matter how unique that calling may be, no matter what danger may be that way, you give yourself over to God and you say, God, I'll do whatever you want. And you watch God work miracles because that's what Ananias has happened to him. Notice what it says in verse 17. After God or Jesus has declared to Ananias what he wants him to do and what is going to take place in Saul's life, Look at what verse 17 says. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Let's stop there. Because he was led by the Spirit, he responds, write this down, he responds with a proper action. He does what God asked of him. He goes. That is the most important part of the text here. He went to the house and he entered it. He had a proper response. When you live in light of God's Spirit and God calls you to something, God will give you the power, the energy, the needed resources to be able to accomplish what He has for you. But what it means is you must respond. The old adage says, God does not uh, uh, call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So what do we do? We do what God has called us to. To do. And that's what, it's what Ananias does. Next, we see that not only does it mean responding with a proper action, doing what God says, but it changes our heart. Look at what goes on. He enters the house in verse 17, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Now, notice what is his response? He does what God says, and now he reacts. Look at his reaction. Now, think about your reaction for a moment coming in and seeing Saul the Christian killer, the murderer, the one who is coming to get us. And he says, brother. He says, brother. John Stott says this simple statement. As, Saul, uh, as uh, Ananias addresses Saul as brother, I'm always moved by these words because I believe with all my heart, John Stott says, they may have well been the first words of Christian fellowship. That Saul had ever heard and they would be words of a fraternal welcome he says even more I suspect that this laying on of hands was a gesture of love to a blind man who could not see the smile on Ananias's face but could feel the pressure of his hands when he said brother Saul you want to serve God you want to honor God with your life of service, then what it means is that you react to God with the affection that God has. It would have been easy for Ananias to come in and to look at him with great disdain and great anger, but he doesn't. He says, brother Saul, great affection. Finally, when we live a life led by the Spirit, it, it means that we will experience results that are amazing. Look at what the text says. Immediately, what, what transpires He's no longer blind. As if scales fell from his eyes, he could see again. This Saul, who was blind for days, now can see. Ananias is a part of a miracle. He gets up, and Saul is what? He's baptized. Saul, the killer of Christians. Saul, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Saul, the one who hates Christ, is uh, just as Howard was today, Brought into the waters of baptism to announce to the world that he has been saved. A miracle takes place. So, what does that do for us? Before we close our Bibles, let me close with this. What is God calling you to today? What is your life of faithful service? What does it involve? What is it to be a part of? Who is he calling you to be a part of? Who is he calling you to minister to? Ask God to answer those questions for you. And even when the answer brings doubt and skepticism in your mind, follow Him. And in doing so, you will never believe the changes that will happen as a result of your faithfulness in Christ. Give yourself over to Him. Serve Him with all your heart. Let's pray. Father God, as we close out our our time of worship this morning. Lord, I am, I am caught with an un- unbelievable sense that we need to have hearts of service. And Lord, we can't make it on our own. We can't do it on our own. Lord, Ananias couldn't uh, put together a job description to serve. Uh, but Lord, uh, that his service uh, was something that you had to make in him. That you had to move in his heart to do. And so, Lord, we uh, praise you for that. And, Lord, we ask for that same to take place in the life of, uh, of us this morning. That uh, you would change us. You would make us your servants. And uh, in doing so, Lord, we would be ready and willing. And, Lord, as you make us able uh, to see the miracles that you will produce in us. Lord, you're going to call us to multiple places. Our service in this world is going to be different. Some will be behind scenes, some will be behind pulpits, while others will be in foreign lands. But Lord, the same Spirit needs to be at work in all of us. So Lord, let us bow the knee to you this morning, giving and yielding ourselves over to the Spirit, so that in doing so, we may do whatever you call us or allow us to be a part of with all our hearts to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you and praise you for your word and what it means to us and give it to you. All the praise and glory. Amen.